Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Daily Objective. And boy, do we have a topic for you today. Donald Rumsfeld. Rest in peace. Uh, guys named Donald, let me tell you, they've been nothing but great for this country. I'm obviously uh, waxing poetic here, but let's, uh, let's get into this. I, I'm a little bit too young to know that much about the decade decades in which Rumsfeld was very relevant. I think he worked for Gerald Ford in Gerald Ford's presidency, uh, obviously long before I personally was born. But then during my high school years, my teen years, the Iraq war was waging and Rumsfeld had a, a prominent position in the defense department or secretary of defense, whatever. Yeah, I think that was his title. You would think I would have it uh, ready to go. But um, but I think uh, whether or not I know that much about him in particular, I, I have a lot to say about uh, foreign policy that this raises, as does my co-host. So let's meet him. This is a guy who you know from Dexter, Supernatural, Lost, and best of all, Fleabag versus Atlas Shrugged, premiering tomorrow on the Ayn Rand Center UK. I am excited. I'm actually watching Fleabag currently. I'm binging. It's a short season, short episode. It's a really funny stuff. I'm looking forward to hearing the discussion. So make sure everybody subscribe to Ayn Rand Center UK with notifications and watch that tomorrow, uh, the time of it coming momentarily. But uh, let's meet him, Mark Pellegrino. Welcome to the show. Hey, what's up? Um, yeah, I think everybody should watch Fleabag just so they can they can check against our, our thoughts on it and, and give us some lively counters and discussion. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're, you're not the only one who was too young for Donald Rumsfeld. I mean, the guy had a career that spanned over 50 years in quote unquote public service. He started in the Nixon administration. So he, he and, and as a congressman before that, as from what I understand. And so, uh, and, and I was a young man that the Vietnam war was the war that I was brought up in and was a young man during his early service. So uh, I, I don't remember too much about that. I, I, I can say, I, I think I'm saying this accurately, that uh, there's a lot of people that have been hating Donald Rumsfeld and for, for some very good reasons, I imagine. But let's not forget that he also co-authored the Freedom of Information Act and also was instrumental in um, eliminating the draft, which uh, to me, um, is is quite a noble thing to do and perhaps in contradiction to some of his policies later on but um he saved american men's lives simply by um making the draft a non-issue in america and, and creating an all-voluntary force so for those things he should be certainly praised for making the government transparent and and saving american men from the the horrors of going overseas to uh to uh fight in wars that they don't agree with absolutely and the horrors of going overseas or just the time that they're forced to give up the the effort the the time of their the years they're forced to uh, give to the government give to the state so anyone who who played a part in eliminating the draft deserves uh a a thumbs up and some moral credit all of that being said uh what i do know about rumsfeld affiliation and influence on america in the 2000s the sort of post 9-11 decade that came um it was a very 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 horrific time i mean i mean if, if 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 we think it's difficult today to uh kind of differentiate lovers of liberty from the republican party imagine trying to do that during the the sort of waging of war because on one hand we've got the anti-war crowd that they're just complete pacifists they're just like 
no, everything's America's fault. If America has does anything overseas and anyone tries to kill us, it must be our fault. On the other hand, there's this George Bush sort of Christian uh, neoconservative approach, which is saying, go liberate the world, liberate them of their dictatorships, and they will magically understand what rule of law means, what liberty means, what it requires, and they will become our greatest friends. Um, so then when you have actual lovers of liberty, people that understand liberty needs to be defended, sometimes defended with force. Um, we're not for the neoconservative uh, spreading of democracy, but we're also not pacifists. Um, and interestingly, it was during those years uh, of George W. Bush and Donald Rumsfeld's tenure that that the internet became what it became. The internet became a place where anyone can get online and give their opinion to a mass audience. And of course the objectivists uh, got on the internet. You started to see people like Yaron Brook and Leonard Peikoff get on the internet. And um, Leonard Peikoff's speech, America versus Americans, uh, was, would talk about how pacifistic and altruistic America's foreign policy is as opposed to the usual criticism, which is to say that it's hawkish and bloodthirsty and all that. So it's very frustrating to explain to people, we are for self-defense, but that's not what George Bush was actually doing. Um, it's frustrating, ain't it? Indeed, and, and to say something, again, Rumsfeld's defense, I'm not a fan, I wanna say at the mm -hmm. outset, but he also seemed to envision a more technologically based army where fewer uh, service personnel had to be on the ground. And I remember that being, I could, if I'm if I'm not remembering this correctly, somebody in the audience can can uh, correct me. But I, I seem to remember the media, uh, who were who were whipping up panic left and right when we were in that region, um, was 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 uh, quite frightened of the fact that we were facing what is it the fourth largest army in the world, or some some somewhere in that neighborhood, with a force of about one fifth of what we were supposed to uh, quote unquote go in there with with and we ended up defeating them in what was it 13 days I, I forget the exact number but we heard at every stage of the invasion that the, that the men were doing it wrong the poison gas was about to be unleashed armageddon was going to happen parts of the army were moving ahead of other parts and they were going to be surrounded and cut off soon because they had so few troop numbers and i think rumsfeld was was uh, more right than his critics in that respect what we needed was technology and we didn't have to have the enormous personnel to defeat the one of the biggest armies in the world um yes and the anti-war crowd they hold that technology as a point against america the like drone strikes you know the, the drones came about probably i think under bush and then obama definitely used a lot of drones but and people say oh these drone strikes are out there killing the innocent well i don't want to send uh american 18 year olds by foot into enemy territories to try and track down the particular suspect. If you can, if you can kill Osama bin Laden along with an entire village and spare the lives of American, then I would say that is the proper way to conduct war. Um, uh, and, and by the way, one of his, one of Rumsfeld's critics on Slate did a scathing obituary of him, critiqued this aspect of Rumsfeld's career that he was envisioning a, a smaller army, technologically adept and claimed that it was that reason, the fact that we had so little personnel actually on the ground in Iraq that we quote unquote, couldn't contain it. We couldn't hold it. Um, 
So the critics are clearly, I don't think any objectivist would say that. I don't think we would say that the reason we didn't hold Iraq is because we didn't have enough people to do it. No, we just didn't have the will. We didn't have the political will and the, and the ethical strength, the moral strength to do it. Um, had we had the political will and the moral strength, I think uh, we could have held that defeat pretty easily. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a guy I now dislike, um, but I used to read a little bit, um, a guy named Mark Stein. So I now I who I am today, I think he's yeah. way, way too preoccupied with demographics, with immigration. He see, you know, not my not my cup of tea, but he he did once describe in one of his books how he visited Iraq in the weeks after the invasion or the month like early on after America, you know, <coughs> accomplished the mission of toppling Saddam's regime. And and Mark Stein describes how when you we, an American would walk around, nobody wanted any trouble. They, they, they almost like didn't even want to give him the, the bill at a cafe after he ordered. Like they thought Americans are as brutal and ruthless as they are, as Saddam and the Iraqi culture sort of was. So and is probably so um, they thought when America came in, they thought, OK, don't mess with America. Do whatever America says. Americans are here. They're in charge. But once as time passed and they saw George Bush go over there, tell them how wonderful their culture is and and basically apologize for America being stronger than they are. Over time, the Iraqis and the and the sort of uh, terrorist groups they imported, Al Qaeda, et cetera, they kind of realize, oh, America is a paper tiger. I mean, they've got the strength, but they don't know they don't use it. They don't think they're worthy of it. They're basically here to apologize to us. They're here to tell us, create the government that you want. And that's when the basically uh the war escalated and Americans started being targeted and killed. So it really is how uh, the psychological message you send somebody in war. But to the anti-war people, they think it was always doomed to be a, a blunder. It was always supposed to be that way. But no, if America had the right mentality going into that war, whether or not America should have gone to Iraq is one question. But once America goes in, if America would have had the right mentality about it and treated uh, the enemy like you don't want to mess with us, it, it could have uh, it could have had much, much smoother uh, sailing. I think I think Rumsfeld was asked at one point while he was secretary of defense what lessons he learned from Vietnam, because, of course, he was a congressman during that and, and saw every stage of the Vietnam War while holding political office of one kind or another. And his response, I think, is very typical of the pragmatist that he probably was. Um, his response was something like, well, you learn that some things work and some things don't. And I, I think that's, that is what he applied uh, to the Middle East problem. Of course, it, I think uh, we as objectivists uh, agree with Leonard Peikoff that Iraq was not the proper war to fight. It was Iran that we sh should go after and probably still should in some respects. Um, Iraq was, uh, was, was a distraction in, in many ways, unfortunately and a bloody distraction. And that's where I think the left is right. The war was not the proper war to fight if, if there is such a thing, and, and we believe there is. And uh, 200,000 Iraqis uh, lost their lives in, in that exchange and 4,000 Americans. For what? For what? For what, right. What do we have to show for it? Um, and yeah, so definitely I would recommend to people look up uh, Leonard Peikoff's America versus Americans lecture, anything by Iran Brook from the, the 2000s about the Middle East uh, and Islam or anything like that, Iraq. Um, and I think uh, they describe how 
the decision to go into Iraq. Why Iraq? Why not Iran? Well, Iraq was not really the one who hit us on 9-11. So to respond to the actual countries responsible for 9-11, such as Iran and Saudi Arabia, who have much clearer links to 9-11, isn't that selfish? I mean, isn't that too assertive and self-interested? So a Christian evangelical like George W. Bush, if he has to go into the Middle East, he'd rather go into Iraq for the reason that they are not really the direct ones responsible for hitting us. Also, Iraq is a more of a secular dictatorship, and the Christian George W. Bush doesn't want to ever uh, admit that religious people, that lovers of God, could ever do something like 9-11. So, okay, we'll go into Iraq, and maybe that'll send a message to Iran and the others that it's time to relax. So it's, it's, it is altruism at play, and it's just war theory at play when these rules of engagement are so um, pathetic and pragmatist. There's a lot of examples of this in the book, Winning the Unwinnable War, which I'll recommend to people. I read it, it, uh, it it's, it's very illuminating, just how philosophy affects everything, everything people do. Uh, altruism and Christian influence in America's foreign policy, it is anything but hawkish. It is pathetic and apologetic and uh, it, it accomplishes nothing. It does not defend liberty and it does not spread liberty. It absolutely just makes the world a worse place ultimately. Um, well, it spreads need- democracy, doesn't it? It spreads democracy and enables the people to elect the next tyrant. But that's about it. Yeah, and Americans are, they have been and still are in the Middle East bribing one group of, t- of Islamists to fight another. Like that's absolutely, I mean, that's, pre- you want to talk about pragmatism, that's it, short range. Okay, we need to defeat the- this group here, so we'll bribe these other equally evil people to fight them. It-, it makes America look weak and corrupt, and it obviously just emboldens the bad guys. I mean, it's been said that ISIS was basically the creation of America. And I mean, usually people say that, they want to make us look like we're as bad as ISIS, but the, the sort of kernel of truth in that is, I think, during the Syrian rebellion, um, Americans were basically funding the rebels, guys like John McCain. Yeah, fund fund the rebels. You know, let's get the let's get this evil uh, al Assad out of out of power. So he's funding the rebels. Who did the rebels turn out to be? Um, and who took over the elements of the rebels? Like the more uh, Islamist elements, of course, took over. They've got the moral certainty. They've got the consistency. And uh, that's what you see over and over again. So when you have the apologetic, pragmatist, unprincipled Americans, the mo- and the uh, trying to align themselves with the moderates in the Middle East, and then you have ISIS, the zealous, zealous, you know, principled religious lunatics, fight, you know, fighting as well. I mean, who are people going to side with? Who are people going to be more inspired to join over there? Um, it all ultimately leads to an enormous disaster. And the sort of predictions that going to the Middle East would be a a blunder, a quagmire, as Dick Cheney once put it, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. But it's because of the pragmatism. It's because of the altruism in the foreign policy that it becomes such a quagmire. Um, The the America of yesteryear, the America of, you know, of the Civil War, of the Revolutionary War, the America that was ready to fight and win decisively, that America would have no problem um, taming the threat uh, in, coming from the Islamic world. Indeed. Yeah, yeah, ain't it the truth. All right, uh, one of the, uh, oh yeah, by the way, so when you were on Michael Malice's podcast, uh, this came up, I think, he, I think he asked you about foreign policy vis-a-vis objectivism, and you basically gave your spiel. You said, you don't F with us. 
you F with us, we'll F with you. And it, it's not going to be tit for tat. Like you, you knock down one of our buildings, we'll knock down one of yours. No, it's, we will be disproportionate. Like we will respond. And that's correct. Uh, your responsibility to yourself and, and to your country, if you're a politician, is to defend the lives of the innocent. What does that mean? That means taking the fight to the bad guys until they can not resist any longer and they surrender on your terms or get wiped out. Um, that's that's actually the that's that's the moral way to fight. Yeah, it's it's, it, it's immoral to give them a quarter. Um, it's immoral to let them give up on their terms and and to not completely and utterly repudiate their values in the eyes of the world. Yeah. And the Islamists in the Middle East and elsewhere, they refer to America as the great Satan and Israel as the little Satan. And uh, Israel really is a smaller version of America in this respect. Israel is accused of being disproportionate in their responses to Hamas. They, they should openly say, we will be disproportionate. You fire a missile at us, we will intentionally be disproportionate in, in our response. Uh, well, I'm, I'm sorry, but, but firing 4,000 missiles and having uh, one ceiling knocker bomb uh, hit a building, uh, you know, in response is not disproportionate. <laughs> right, right. They mean, they mean the casualties if, are disproportionate. If, if Hamas, yeah, if, if, well, it's because Hamas is so goddamn incompetent and they're largely doing it for, you know, for uh, publicity's sake uh, mm -hmm. because the rest of the world is so naive. And, yeah. uh, and so influenced by that altruist ethic that, you know, the weak, um, the weak and the meek and the, uh, and the poor are somehow the moral authorities in this situation, irrespective of the context. So I agree when people accuse Israel of being disproportionate, they're, 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 at, uh, they're lying. But, is, but even if Israel were being disproportionate, if, the, if Israel were responding to acts of aggression with 10 times as much aggression, that would not necessarily be the wrong thing. It's, it's a question of tactics. What is the best way to stop this threat immediately, to win this war decisively so we can all get back to peace and prosperity? Uh, so Israel should be clear, just as every free country should be. You attack us, our response will be disproportionate. Um, and, when, and, but, and what do you do? What do you do with the civilian with with civilians who overwhelmingly support uh, Hamas? Uh, you know, aid and abet and and morally support um, such an evil organization. If if you're going to wipe out Hamas, it's not going to be a pretty pretty thing. You're, and you, I mean, and yes, and you need to crush the spirits of the region. So there, there is no support for Hamas. People are inspired to support Hamas because, again, they see a pragmatist, apologetic Israel on one hand, and then they see Hamas with moral fervor and zealotry. Who are they going to be inspired to fight with? So it's all a question of how to. It's a question of tactics. War is not a new concept. Wars have been waged and won for centuries. I know there's a book called uh, Nothing Less Than Victory by an objectivist, I, Lewis, Mr. Lewis, I forget his name, John Lewis, I think. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. The Greek God, historian. Know, yeah, mm -hmm. there is, I mean, there is a way to win war. The reason free countries don't fight to win anymore is because of altruism, because of pragmatism, because of a lot of things that are not rational egoism. Um, and what, why I brought up your conversation with Malice is because I noticed he was not really pushing back against you when you said that. He seemed kind of taken aback. And I've noticed the same people when you actually present them like a rational foreign policy saying we need to be very clear with enemies who attack us and our way of life, that our response will be direct, swift and aggressive. 
people, they tend to respond positively to that, such as like right after 9-11, when Bush was talking tough, people, they were willing to go with him and see and kind of see and uh, and and watch him follow through with that. So um, yes, I think that, yeah, I, you're right. I, I think the maxim is we won't start it, but we'll finish it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, altruism and pragmatism in foreign policy kills a lot of people. And it certainly um, draws a moral equivalency between good and evil, between, um, you know, Islamist fundamentalists versus uh, Jeffersonian Democrats. And that's something that needs to change. So philosophy is everything, folks. Uh, you better recognize it. All right. Uh, we were uh, one of the topics on the table <laughs> to, for the episode today was Bill Cosby. Um, now, I, I think both of us did not follow closely the court case, uh, which is a reason I did not want to make it the topic of today's episode, um, because as easy as it is to kind of say, well, Bill Cosby's guilty and he can go to hell. I don't really know the details surrounding his experiences with a lot with these accusers or the particular accuser he was convicted of raping. So um, I try to be prudent, especially when it comes to court cases and stuff like that. It's not always as open shut as it seems. Do you have any thoughts about Bill Cosby and his recent release? Um, you can plead uh, the fifth. No, com no okay. comment at the moment. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Um, yeah. It's, uh, Anyway, but it does, uh, it does, it, it is obviously very controversial. He's suddenly released. It, it obviously uh, <coughs> brings out a lot of opinions. Some people saying, look, I mean, uh, look, the innocent, like we live in a rape culture. Other people saying, look, this proves that blacks are not oppressed. I'm just, I, I, I tend to say court cases are very sensitive. You want to be very careful when looking at a court case. And it's very difficult to be objective about a court case when there's so much PR surrounding it, so much media hype around it. But anyway, um, maybe maybe to be continued another day or with this case or another uh, like it. Anyway, well, anyway, 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 great episode. Uh, hope we have inspired people to look up Leonard Peikoff and Yaron Brooks um, lectures on the Middle East from about 10, 15 years ago. I hope I've inspired Hope we've inspired people to read Winning the Unwinnable War by Elon Giorno. It's also got uh, essays by Iran Brooke and Alex Epstein. Now, there's a guy who, look, whenever I see what he's up to, I'm like, what am I like dealing with? Some guy in the chat room over here is running their mouth at me. This guy is going up against Congress. He's talking to the most powerful people in the world. He's not, he's not stuttering. Well, the, he's beauty not of, the, the, the beauty of it is he's exposing them for the mental midgets that they are. I, and it I, takes, I pretty much think any. I think anybody in a chat in this space right here has more going on mentally than pretty much every congressman he's he's engaged with. Very true, but it still takes courage to you know look these people, look at these people, and and tell it like it is. Uh, I'm afraid to imagine myself in such a situation. So um, fighting the good fine. fight. Uh, subscribe to uh, Center for Industrial Progress, folks, and. Watch it with your own eyes. Thank you, Christopher Smith, for the 149 Canadian. That probably is about $1 American. And with that being said, I suppose we can jump over to Clubhouse. Remember, everybody, tomorrow at 10 p.m. UK time, which is 5 Eastern on Friday, uh, Mark Pellegrino is going to be talking to Jax and to Jennifer about Atlas Shrugged, comparing it to Fleabag, which is a really funny show. And I suppose these discussions are 
kind of geared towards leaning towards envisioning what the Atlas Shrugged inspired series is going to sort of look like. Is that kind of the idea or am I? I think, I think it'll have elements uh, of that to it. You know, we're going to experiment with the shows and see exactly where it's going to go. We have an idea for a format, but you know, you don't know how it's going to go until it goes. So, fair enough. In in in, in, in any case, this is going to be interesting to watch. So I'm looking forward. Remember, everybody, check out the show Fleabag so you can enjoy the discussion tomorrow. All right. Well, thanks, Mark. Thank you. Thanks, everybody, for watching, and we'll be on Clubhouse momentarily. See ya, and goodbye.